welcome to an all-new episode of the Fast Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Cummins, at Logan Cummins on Twitter. On today's episode, I'll try to make friends with my high school English teacher, Mr. Nicholson, faster than I could seek out Cliff's Notes in 1994 for every book that he had us read. Hi, I'm Logan Cummins. I'm a former pro wrestling creative, a mediocre stand-up comedian, and a ranch-dressing aficionado who lives beyond my means. This is my weekly podcast where I set out to make friends with each and every one of my guests. Sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Mr. Nicholson, welcome to the Fast Friends Podcast. Hey, Logan. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, I'm so, so happy to have you here. It's weird for me to call you by your first name, I think. Like, I still feel like I'm going to get in trouble. Do you want me to call you Mr. Nicholson? Do you want me to call you Ron? Do you want me to introduce you? as Like, what do you want to be called? You can call me whatever you're comfortable calling me. I, I will answer to either one. Okay. All right. Right on. Anything? I can call you anything? Sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. How's your week going? You know, it's pretty good, actually. Good. Is... Uh, I'll give it. A, I'll give it two thumbs up. Right on. Yeah, it's a great. I know that you are probably not, unless things have changed. I don't. I don't remember you being a big wrestling fan, but uh, it's a big week for wrestling this week. So um, I'm having a great week. I'm happy for you. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I always thought in high school that you would outgrow that, but no. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's here fine. we are. Here we are still. It's not like, uh, you know, it's, I think like, maybe I could sell you on this now. I feel like it's, it's two levels. Like you get like the thing, it's like the kids love the childish aspects of it, but then there's like a deeper intellectual sort of like story arc going on behind the scenes. You know, it's, um, it's just like any other sort of masterpiece, I think. Okay. I mean, I, I have learned more about it from you. <laughs> and and listening to you, so at least I understand what it is now. I, I never really knew before, but uh, oh, okay. You never okay. watched it at all? No, no, mm. Interesting. no idea. Interesting. Um, well, welcome to the podcast. Like I said, I, it's it's awesome for me to have you here. We um, <laughs> we know each other a little bit from years ago, uh, and have stayed in touch a little bit here and there. But obviously, you, when you're like a teenager, you're not like trying to become friends with with your teachers. So um, we'll see how this goes. Okay, I'm game. <laughs> um, for people listening at home, and if you had to describe yourself in thirty seconds or less, how would you describe and tell people who Ron Nicholson is? I am a failed writer who refuses to give up and someone who went into the classroom as a second career idea and stayed for 40 years. Wow. Let's talk about failed writing, because if you're doing writing, are you actually failing? I think as long as you're doing it, you're, you're not failing. I like that idea very much. We have the idea that unless you've published and... Uh, appeared on the bestseller list or won a major prize, then you are still sort of unsuccessful. Yeah. Uh, and in that way, I'm very unsuccessful. I mean, I have published um, and, and I'm proud of my work. It's just read by nearly no one. So sure. <laughs> I, I, I actually, um, if you know who Frank McCourt was, no, he, he wrote the novel Angela's Ashes. Okay. And he was a teacher for 40-some years. He taught, actually, at Bedford-Stuy in, in New York, and he was completely a failure. And then he retired, and he wrote this book and became an international, huge success, Pulitzer Prize-winning person. And he's sort of my role model. So I'm, I'm thinking in the next 10 years, 
it, yeah. it will happen for me. Yeah, no, that's great. Do you? Um, well, we'll get into we'll get into that as we get into the interview a little bit more and try to. I want to know what you what you're working on. Um, so you you are you have listened to the podcast. I don't know. I don't know if you're an avid listener, uh, but but I would say that you've listened to the podcast. I know that because we've exchanged messages back and forth. Um, I'll give you just the brief premise, and for people in case they're tuning in for the first time. Uh, it's called the Fast Friends Podcast, and so the goal is really, in a short amount of time, to try to make friends with people uh, through three rounds of conversation. The first will be things that I have found out about you or remember or have heard about you that may or may not be true, um, and then you know we'll just kind of go through that. It's like life. And then second round is called Five for Five, so we'll ping pong back and forth with five questions, and then we'll do an activity round that's based on a, the fortune teller game from childhood. And, uh, and then you'll get a friend request to see if you're feeling like, yep, this is working out or nope, not so much. Okay. So, um, you were born and raised in Indiana, correct? Yes. Your entire life? Indianapolis. Yes. Uh, in a very small, close knit family. Um, we actually lived downtown when I was little and then my parents, uh, moved to the West side, uh, the mean streets of Speedway. Oh yeah. Uh, or very close to Speedway. Um, and uh, I had a, a really sort of idyllic uh, childhood, yeah. to be honest. It was, you, it was wonderful. That's amazing. What, um, I, we had uh, Megan Galeon, who's a comedian who grew up north of downtown Indianapolis, and she made me a comment um, that when she was a child, like she didn't know people that actually lived downtown. I think there's been like a resurgence now of people moving back to the cities in the last however many years. But um, did a lot of people live downtown when you, and I know it was like early in your life. Yes. Um, I think you have to remember the suburbs were sort of a new idea when I was a child. Uh, I mean, when we moved out West, um, that was way, way out. And if you, I think if you go back now, um, Speedway is almost urban, you know, mm -hmm. the, the suburbs go way past that. So yeah. yeah, a lot of people lived uh, downtown. We lived in a very old house in the upper story, and then an elderly couple who owned the house lived in the bottom floor. Okay. Um, and we walked uh, everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Did um, were you an only child, or did you have siblings? No, I I have a sister who is eighteen months younger than I am. Okay. And we were raised almost like twins, although it, this is, I think amusing we don't look alike at all um <laughs> and we are not alike at all um so it's it's odd but there are lots of pictures of us dressed the same um, okay like we were like we were twins <laughs> <laughs> that's fun did when you moved out west um i have a younger brother named ryan who i think you actually i have two younger brothers but my younger brother ryan um he used to work at the country club in indianapolis which is near speedway i think i don't know if you're familiar with that is that the one out by Eagle Creek? Um, you know, I'm not sure. There was a women's prison on out past oh, Speedway. Uh, Girl School Road. Okay, out yes. That way. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Ryan told me I got to see the country club there one time when he was working there. And he was taking me for a tour of the country club. And he told me that that women's prison, um, way back in the day, apparently, the women used to like work in the fields and they would like come over to the boundaries of the country club to like get a little action from the guys that were there golfing. Oh my. That's, <laughs> um, I texted him today to make sure that I was remembering that correctly. 
um, because I was like, I don't want to just throw this out there. But Ryan was, I, I mean, obviously he wasn't there uh, when it was happening, but um, that's the legend. So that's uh, that's most of what I know about the Speedway area. But Ryan lived there for a little bit. Um, my my youngest brother, Ryan. I do not know that story, but we were not country club people. Yeah. <laughs> so that that does not surprise me uh, at all. Yeah, or or prison people, which is, is uh, good. We were not, no. Yeah, <laughs> right in right in between. <laughs> um, awesome. What were you like as a kid? I was a very frail, sickly child. Um, very early on, I was uh, diagnosed with severe asthma, severe allergies to everything. And this, remember, was before steroids. This is before inhalers or nebulizers. And I have a lot of memories of being carried. My father would carry me to the emergency room and they really just spent a lot of quality time trying to get me to breathe. Um, and so I, I have some vivid memories. When I was younger, my dad would push my bed over toward the window of my room and then my sister would bring all the neighborhood kids over and they would stand in the window and tell me about what they were playing and what they were doing um, and the fun they were having and I, I had to sort of vicariously enjoy it. Wow. Um, now and there were times when I was healthy and I was very active um, and played you know sports and all those kinds of things um, and then it was just sort of sometimes Things would not go well, and I just could not breathe. So it yeah. was it was a little it was tough. Yeah. Um, that well, and growing up for people that may not have spent much time in Indiana, it's there's a, the allergens and like you get a lot of humidity. It's like it's, there's not oh, yes. really a good window in in Indiana for having respiratory issues. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so would you say that you had like if you had to give it like a percentage breakdown, what was your like healthy to healthy to unhealthy ratio? I would say 30% unhealthy. That's better than 70. <laughs> sure. And there were, I mean, I, I spent, I spent my share of time in the hospital and, you know, in oxygen tents and things like that. But I, when, when I look back, I, I don't remember a traumatic childhood. I remember a really great childhood. And like you said, people lived in the city. So you had like people around, um, yes. like playing what, um, were you a good student? I was a good student in that I was a rule follower and a teacher pleaser mm -hmm. and a very good reader. Um, but I could not get the hang of math to save my life. So I struggled mightily all the way through, uh, numbers just don't work for me. Um, which may explain how I became, you know, an English professor. Right, right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm kind of the same way. I, in, I remember in college, I um, was, fo I was a communications major. I almost got an English communication double major, uh, but there was one professor whose class I refused to take, and you had to get it at this school to get the English degree. So I, um, I did not get like the, the English degree because of that. What, but what class was it that you, it avoided? was actually, it was, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the class itself. It was the professor oh, okay. entirely. Okay. Uh, it was a Shakespeare class. It wasn't even a bad, like it would have been an easy, enjoyable, like, you know, it wouldn't have been anything terrible. Oh, that's but too bad. He's a terrible human being. So, um, <laughs> you know, you'll have that. Um, 
and it's fine. It's worked out for me. But I, I do remember like we, I had to take a few math classes and I ended up taking statistics. That was like the level that we had to get for my for my degree. Um, and I had to take it twice. And the second time, I don't think that I even passed it. But I think that the professor was like, this guy is really, really struggling. And he's tried like because I went to tutoring and all kinds of stuff. And I still I remember walking out of taking the final the second time. And I was like, I'm going to have to take this again, you know, <laughs> and um and somehow I squeaked by with like a C uh, for the course, because if you got a D, they would make you retake it. Right. Yeah. I had the same experience. I really yeah. feel like my math grades were given uh, out of pity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'll take it, though. Um, yeah, oh, I took it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took it and, run, and ran. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, you know, I you know my friend Jared, obviously. So, I um, do. He is very smart in math, and he would just sit back and be like, I don't understand how you don't understand this, you know? So, yes. Oh, geez. Um, speaking of college, it's, you went to Indiana State after high school, right? Um, I did. What made you pick Indiana State? And was it, yeah, just, I guess we'll stop there. What, what made you pick Indiana State? That's an interesting question because it's, it's sort of a weird story. Um, because, of, because of my health, um, I was. Um, I was very sheltered, very sheltered. And um, when it came time to go to college, um, and my parents were thrilled because I, I would be the first person in our family to go to college, um, my my mother insisted that I go someplace close. And so the plan had been for me to go to Marion College, which is Marion University now. And that is literally a few blocks away from my high school. <laughs> okay. Like a mile, two miles, I don't know, just yeah. a few miles, very, very close in Riverside. And um, that was the plan. I would live at home. I could, you know, stay close to the doctors and so forth. So one day, I don't know, when I was in the guidance counselor's office. I want to say her name was Miss Blazik or something like that. And we were talking and... I don't know. I had this, I don't want to call it an epiphany. I looked up on the wall and I saw the sign, this poster for Indiana State University. And something said to me, you have to go away to school or you will never be able to make it. Mm -hmm. And I changed my mind. And I said, I want to go there. And they said, what? what? <laughs> no. And my parents were terrified and, and everything changed at the last minute. And and then before you knew it, it was the end of August. I packed up my, my Buick that my grandfather had left me in, in his will. And I drove to Terre Haute, Indiana and started school. And I was shitless. I was so scared because I had no idea what was waiting for me. Yeah. Wow. Did you live on campus and stuff? I did. Um, okay. I actually lived in a dorm that was air conditioned and you needed a special <sighs> health exemption to get in. And, uh, and my roommate, all four years, um, also had the same exemption. So it worked perfectly. And I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, when you were at Indiana State, so I've, I've only been, uh, I've been there to visit when friends were also going to Indiana State. So it's been quite some time since I've been there. What, um, how did you, how was it changing from like living in, in like a more urban setting of Indianapolis. And obviously I know you had moved to the West side, but it's still more urban probably than Terre Haute. I would imagine like how, how, what was that adjustment like? I don't remember it being an adjustment because to be honest, 
it was a whole new world that opened up for me and it was thrilling every minute of it. I met people from so many backgrounds and different countries, um, people with all kinds of different beliefs and ideas. It was the age of uh, petitions and protests and boycotting. And um, I joined everything I could join. Mm-hmm. I went to everything I could go to. So it was it, it was really not any kind of a shock for me uh, yeah. as much as just a, um, an, an awakening. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel like there's, we've talked, I've talked about this with a couple of people, but like, I think college is as much as it's about the academic learning, it's about like just figuring out life and like what you actually believe and who you are and like what you stand for. Um, and I do like, I, again, I don't want to, I don't believe that college is really like the right path probably for every single person, but I think there's, um, the, the experience of like going through that. I don't know. It's just, I wish that more, I wish that everybody got the chance to at least do it on a short term, you know, even if it was like for a very short term window and not a full four years. Agreed. I know, um, I teach at a community college and it's not residential. It's, it's all commuter. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I, I feel like, um, my students miss out on is that, that living on campus, um, experience because you're, you're young and you're, you're, you're on your own, but you're not on your own. So it's, it's a little bit, it has, there's a safety net, right? Um, you know, you still have your family, you still have that support system, but no one tells you what time to come home and no one tells you to do your homework or don't go to that party and, you know, those kinds of things. And so it's, it's a lot of really great trial and error. And I I agree with you. I think almost (laughs) half of what you learn is, is the experience of college as much as the knowledge inside the classroom. Were you still a rule follower in college or did you start to like, were you like one of those, um, children who, once you got away, you were like, I'm going to try a bunch of stuff and like break a lot of rules. I was not wild, but (laughs) I was also not a stick in the mud. Um, I, I mean, I won a scholarship while I was there, which I was very proud of, and therefore I had to keep my grades to keep that scholarship. Um, but I had fun. Yeah. I I partied. I did a lot of things that maybe weren't smart. Yeah. But that's okay. <laughs> that's that's part of the that experience though that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, there are times like I look back on things, and I'm like, oh, we probably shouldn't have made it through this night. You know what I mean? Like the odds were definitely against us, but here we are. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> would, uh, I do want to ask, since you lived in the dorms for, for the four years, did you have, um, was, did you have any like, uh, crazy run-ins with RAs that were evil? Cause I've had a couple of those. No. Um, I worked in another dorm, uh, for my on-campus job and worked with RAs. And so, I, okay. I, I kind of saw things from, from their point of view. Um, and I, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember having any issues with them. They were usually pretty cool. I mean, there were a lot of times when they would tell us pipe down or parties over or, um, stop tearing that door off the wall or something. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but for the most part, not, not a lot of issues. 
Okay, that's good. That's good. There's like a certain person that's coming to mind from my college experience that if I said it, if I said this person's name to people, they would have like a visceral reaction. So I was just wondering <laughs> if you had any of those in your college experience. Uh, no, I don't think so. Her name was not Alicia Howard. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so you studied, I think, journal. was it journalism and English or just journalism? Yes. Both, yeah, both. Uh, English okay. and journalism, yes. Okay, right on. And were you, at that point, like, did you go there declaring, like, these are the two things I'm going to study? Or, like, did you learn and sort of, like, declare it once you were there and you were a year or two in? I didn't I didn't have a major declared when, when I enrolled. I think mostly because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I didn't come from a background where I knew the um, the so-called hidden rules of college, but very quickly it became obvious that that was where my strength was, mm-hmm. and I loved to write, and I you know I took that first class and I had a fantastic instructor, um, and it, there was no looking back. I mean uh, I I went full throttle. I worked on the on the staff paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up stringing for the um, Terre Haute Tribune. Uh, I got a, actually had a job for a, it was a cool job. I was the movie critic for a local magazine. Oh, that's that, fun. That came out. Yeah, it's so great to be paid to go to the movies. Yeah. And then, and then trash them. I mean, <laughs> what, what could be what could be better than you know making fun of Michael Douglas for four paragraphs and getting paid to do it? <laughs> that's awesome. So it was a local like a local magazine there in Terre Haute. It was called Time Out. Yes. Oh, okay. Is it is it the same timeout like that's like na- like timeout Chicago timeout New York all of that? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Probably not. Probably no. not. <laughs> okay, it's it a pretty small, big. It, yeah, it was small potatoes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> what? Um, how did you end up working at the Saturday Evening Post? How did that come together? Mostly, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time. It was mostly through some connections my my mother had my. My mother has always been a very political person, mm-hmm. and she happened to be the right politics in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And the um, the owner of the post had purchased the the entire enterprise and moved it from Philadelphia, where Ben Franklin founded it, to Indianapolis, um, uh, and and they set up there. And I thought I was one of like you know four hundred applicants, and that I had surfaced to the top because I was so bright and talented um, and I was offered the job and I worked there for maybe a day and a half when I realized that I actually was just the sucker that they were able to drag into this because it was total insanity there. I mean, insanity. If, if you've heard of the, the devil wears Prada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That, that's nothing. That's wow. nothing. No, it was it was insane, and um, every day there was something. the 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 editor was just out of control. So, so for example, we were all in in the editorial offices. You know, we had cubicles, and if the editor would come into the offices, it was for one reason, and that was to yell and create mayhem. And so, the the person whose office was the closest cubicle, um, his job was actually to yell "incoming," and then we would all duck and cover like in a nuclear attack, because the editor was going to throw, I don't know, a stapler, a tape dispenser, a clipboard, scissors, it didn't matter, whatever whatever she could grab. And, and you, I mean, you could really be hurt. Um, and we lived with that, 
constantly. Wow. Wait, was this person like somebody that came from a an editorial background like in the Devil Wears Prada or was it somebody that like came into this job because of, the, of people that had purchased it and it was like a personal interest? It it had nothing to do with with editorial. It was all about ownership and publishing and power and revenue and things like that. So, okay. um, yeah, it was, um, it was insane. Um, one, one day I was, I was summoned to her office. She had this giant office, of course. Mm-hmm. And I, I went down to, and knocked on the door and I was told to come in and I opened the door and there she sat and she was probably in her fifties at the time. She seemed very old to me. And I, I, I opened the door opened and I walked, I looked in and there she sat behind her desk wearing nothing but a bra. Oh. That's it. And I averted my eyes, thinking I had made a mistake. And I said, I'm sorry, excuse me. And she said, grow up and get in here. Wow. Yeah, wow. So I crept over, and she started yelling at me about something I had done on an article that we were working on. And she made me come and stand next to her and, you know, the 18-hour bra. And we edited this piece while her secretary stood in the ante room ironing her blouse because she had an interview later. And I think the point of that is that we were so subhuman that it wasn't even worth the trouble to be embarrassed or, you know, it, 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 we didn't matter. We were, we were just peons. Wow. And we edited the piece and I was dismissed, you know. Wow. So every day, every, every day. day. How long did you? How long did you end up working there? Four months. Okay, it's okay, but an excruciating. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, it was horrible. I couldn't do it, and I, I, told, I every day I would complain while we, while we were, while I was there. Uh, I uh, got married, and my wife said, "You know, you have a teaching certificate. Why don't you use it?" Okay. Um, and so, that's how I ended up in the classroom. So that's that was going to be my question: is like once you left there, is that when you started teaching? And also, did you get the teaching certi- certification like through Indiana State, or was this something that had happened after the fact? No, at State. Um, so I was an English major, and interestingly, at least when I was there, and I think this is still fairly common, most English majors do not go into teaching; they go to law school. Mm-hmm. And I believe most everyone I went through with, you know, in my little cohort. Um, there were only a couple of us who planned to teach, but they made it really clear that it, it was only a few classes. If you took these education courses that crossed over, you could get the certificate. It wasn't that complicated or hard to do. Um, and like I said, I loved it. I, I wasn't interested in leaving school um, at all. So I, I went ahead and took those, you know, just in case. Yeah, that's okay. So as wow. a fallback. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. So yeah, teaching was my fallback. Okay. Um, when did you, so let's, you said you were married at the time you were working at Saturday Evening Post. When did you meet your wife? I met my wife. I like this story. Um, and I know it sounds like a Hallmark movie, but I swear to you, it's true. Um, (laughs) so like I said, I went to school, I was terrified and, um, I really wasn't going anywhere because I didn't know what to do, but I, I received an invitation to a freshman get acquainted dinner, uh, at the Newman Center. And I, I, I screwed up my courage and decided I would go. So I walked down. I walked in the room. I was greeted. I was sat at a table um, with like eight people. It was this round table. And I sat down, and I looked up, and across the table, I saw the most beautiful, amazing woman ever. 
and I knew immediately that I must marry her and make her the mother of my children. I knew, I knew, and I know that I don't believe in that kind of crap, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it, so I, and I had no game. You have to know this. I had, (laughs) I was a total failure at dating. I had no idea how to, what to do with girls. So, um, I just, I went for it. I, I, I talked all evening. I offered to walk her home. I remember vividly sitting under a, uh, a crabapple tree on a bench outside her dorm, talking until after dark. And then, really, what I did, Logan, is I just stalked her, mm. um, in the good way, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote love notes and poems and put them in her mailbox. I sent stuffed animals and gifts. Um, I showed up randomly at her work. Uh, wow. <laughs> and, o- and offered to walk her home. She worked in the science library, uh, which was in the basement of this gloomy building and I would show up and say, you know, it seems a little dangerous. I'll walk you home. Um, and, and I just was unrelenting. And then, and then one day we were talking on the phone and she said to me, Oh my gosh, did you hear Steve Martin is coming to campus for a concert? And I said, Oh, I, well, I think I'd heard that. And she said, I love Steve Martin. He's the funniest man on earth. Don't you love Steve Martin? And I said, Oh my gosh, he's hysterical. Right. Except I hated Steve Martin. <laughs> I thought he was stupid with that arrow in his head and King Tut and, I mean, excuse me. I thought it was ridiculous. But I lied through my teeth because I wanted this girl. And I said, oh, I love Steve Martin. I said, not only that, I said, I have tickets. Oh, gosh. Do you want to go? And she's like, yes. Well, I didn't have tickets. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know how to get tickets. <laughs> So you don't want to know what I had to do in a dark alley to um, get these tickets. Wow. To take her to Steve Martin. Um, it was almost like some guy named Guido, you know, with a toothpick in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> and I got tickets and we went to that concert and we have been together now for, what, 40 some years. Yeah. Wow. All, so, all thanks to Steve Martin. It, it worked. Yes. <laughs> and I came around. I like Steve Martin now. I got over it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> the joke's on her because, I mean, she was seriously, Logan, like one of the top 25 hottest girls on campus. Yeah. And I was just nobody. So the joke's on her. She fell yeah. for it. I, look, I can relate all day to marrying up. Um, yes. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a skill. Um, <laughs> that is Agreed. awesome. So Agreed. when you, let's, let's jump to teaching. So you started teaching, did you... Uh, you were in Indianapolis for the Saturday Evening Post. Did you teach in Indianapolis first, or did you go somewhere else? No, my first teaching job was in Lafayette. Okay. Uh, I taught middle school. And I have this dual feeling about that. I, I admire the people who can do it all yeah. day long. But at the same time, I think you would have to be totally insane to do it. Mm-hmm. Because these are emerging adults in children's bodies and they're like aliens from another planet and I couldn't do it and I told my wife I can't do this and of course see that was number two I'd already failed at one job so right um I I was lucky enough to land a job teaching high school in Indianapolis and that was a a much better fit that that worked was that was that when you taught at your old high school I did I did I taught where I went to high school yeah uh, which is interesting uh, to say the least, um, one, one of the older teachers uh, actually tried to give me a detention one day for being in the hall without a pass. 
because, <laughs> until, until I could explain that I, I, I was a teacher, uh, because I looked really young. I've, I've sure. never really looked my age, which can be yeah. good and bad. Right. But um, I, yeah, I grew a mustache uh, trying to look older. Okay. Um, because I, I did. I, I'd still look like I was a senior. So. Um, but, How big but, was your high school? Um, oh, not big. Um, okay. Five, 500, 600 kids, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. So I was going to ask you, like, did you know any, did you, were any of the teachers that were there when you started teaching, like you were around them now, like in a different capacity? What was that like? Oh, yes. So, um, so this is a Catholic school and uh, we had a lot of nuns and one of the, the, the strictest of the nuns, uh, Sister Rita, um, who unfortunately passed away this last year, um, she was she was famous and so for example one of her tactics in the english classroom was we would maybe go around the room in freshman english and you had to identify the verb phrase let's say and if you missed it then you would have to drop on the floor and do 20 push-ups oh and i couldn't do 20 push-ups i couldn't do two push-ups so i learned my verb phrases if for no other reason so i wouldn't have to be embarrassed you know just lie on the floor Right. <laughs> <laughs> Drooling on the on the tile. Um, so when I came back to teach there, she was my department chair. Mm-hmm. And she was really mean in an entirely different way <laughs> because, <laughs> because she couldn't really adjust to the idea that I wasn't a student. Now I was, I was faculty and she was old school. And at that time I was new and I had all these great ideas about out of the box kind of stuff. And she said, oh, I don't think so. Yeah, she said, "This is how we do it." So we butted heads terribly, um, and I respected her. I really did. She was a fantastic woman, but boy, we did not get along. Yeah, but she was. She made it clear, like she's still running the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Called me buddy boy. That's oh. all she ever called me. Hey, buddy boy. <laughs> That's it. That's you never had a name. Wow. Uh, okay. And then, how long did you teach there before you ended up at South Dearborn? Uh, four years. Okay. And then South Dearborn. So that's where you and I, obviously, our paths first crossed because um, I was I took your class a uh, freshman year. Um, mm-hmm. I was in honors English. Not to brag. Honors English, everybody. Hey, why, why not? <laughs> uh, and then later also in yearbook, uh, our junior, my junior and senior year. And I also was on academic team with you. Yes. Uh, yeah, I know. I sound like such a <laughs> such a popular kid. Um, what? So I have a couple of questions. I don't want to like get you in trouble. I know there are still people there that teach there. Like, That's okay. but so one of the things I do want to know is like, there are all these little like things like gossips or like urban legends sort of that circulate about like different people that teach in the school. You guys like you hear these too, right? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. And unfor- think- unfortunately I have to tell you many of those were true. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> It was it was an interesting place. Okay. I had never I had never lived in a small town. I didn't I didn't really know how that would play out. Yeah. Um, but people in small towns are connected in ways that I, I hadn't really appreciated. You know, they're they're all interrelated and you know, formerly married to and this is my stepchild and this is my grandpa and my cousin twice removed and Yeah. And you have to be careful because you, you, you really don't understand all those all those interconnections. And yeah, there are a lot. Like, I, like you said, it's literally every, uh, almost every single person is, it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's like you're one to two degrees <laughs> max. Everybody's. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I have a couple of questions about like being, so again, like, because, um, you don't talk to your teachers about things like this, but like with people that come through your class, like you have a lot of students, right? Like I'm thinking high school, you had like what, seven or eight periods a day of 20 to 25 kids probably or more. Yeah. Six. I think we, I think we taught six periods a day, about 25 kids. So yeah. Okay. So that's a lot of kids in a year's time. Um, what, (laughs) what is it that makes a student like stand out to you, good or bad or both? I think, well, good students are students who generally seem to want to learn and who engage with their teachers about whatever we're learning beyond the requirement. So if, if they ask a question about Shakespeare or they, you know, they say, oh, I really got all caught up in this chapter in, in To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever, and and, re- and really seem to enjoy it, th- they stick in your head a lot because you feel like you're making a difference, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're actually promoting this student's appreciation of English or what the subject matter. And then, of course, on the other end, these are people who are just such a pain in your ass, and they're keeping you from doing what you want to do and what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's very frustrating because, you know, you, you, you can't just backhand them. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a process and um and you have you have those i mean there are students who just generally don't want to be there a lot of times it's because most of these kids have so much baggage yeah that, that we don't see they're hungry they're homeless their parents beat them i mean there there's a lot of that that goes on that we we don't see in the classroom yeah um and and that's i believe that's where a lot of that misbehavior comes from and I feel awful because, you know, most students are just good students and I don't remember them mm-hmm. because they didn't stand. They weren't the top. Yeah. They weren't they weren't the troublemakers. And so you forget them. And I think that's awful. But like you said, that's all. I mean, I don't even want to think how many students I've taught over the years. It would yeah in the thousands. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just too much. And my wife is a teacher. So I see that now. Right. Like where she'll even say to me, like, um, Oh, so-and-so is now like graduating eighth grade. And I'm like, I don't even know who that person is, you know? And she's like, you don't remember when I had, and I'm like, no, like I, you know, but she also has kids where she's like, I don't remember much about X, like this student. And it's, it's nothing personal. It's literally just like a sheer numbers game. And like you said, there, you remember the really good ones or the really bad ones, it seems like. And there's a huge middle ground, I think. Um, Absolutely. Um, so when when I was in school with you, what did you think that I would go on to do after school? Like, do, do, well, first of all, d- d- did you remember me before I started uh, reaching out to you about this? Uh, and then B, like, what do, like what did you think like oh, about me as a kid, as a student? So first of all, of course, I remember you. I remember especially my yearbook and journalism students because that was a, that was a special class, and. and and I know this will sound fake, but you all were a very special group. I mean, we did a lot of good work. We won awards. We were profitable. Um, you know, we, we meshed. We had a, a really good run uh, in those years. Um, so, of course, I remember you. Um, I remember most of those, most of those kids. Um, what did I think you would do? I knew you would be successful. I mean, when I look back now on any, any of my journalism students that I've been able to track and keep track of, and, and there are a few of you. Um, you're all successful people, you know. Think I think you know Jody and Sarah Beth and um, Emily McLean, and I mean 
uh, yeah. the list, the, you know, Jared, the, li- the list goes on and on. Seth, remember Seth? Oh, I love Seth, yeah. Um, and, you know, Kyle uh, Black. And I mean, the, I remember there are a lot of you. And I knew that you would all be successful because yeah. you 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 had what it what it takes and you wanted it and you had been pointed in the right direction. So I was not worried. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. I was worried. <laughs> um, so my last question for you about me as it relates to high school is why didn't you tell me that my hair looked so bad in the early to mid nineties? Well, I, who am I to judge? I'm not a particularly handsome guy. So, um, you know, and kids, kids are awkward. And I remember, <laughs> I remember being that really, really awkward kid. I weighed like 27 pounds in high school. I was six one. Right. With red hair and a big nose. And I weighed nothing. Um, and I wheezed all the time. So who am I to tell somebody their hair looks bad? <laughs> I have a my senior picture gets floated around sometimes at work when, in like a presentation. And every time it gets like this great reaction. So I'm always like, oh, God. But I would kill to have that much hair now. <clears throat> Oh, geez. Um, so now, like you mentioned earlier, you've you've taught at the college university level um, and you are at a at a college now uh, at the college level now. Rather, what what is the difference between like teaching high school and college? And what do you like? Do you ever wish you could go back? Like, what do you do? You Do you feel like you're where you're supposed to be? So the difference is that I do not have restroom duty. <laughs> and that was the first thing that I, 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 I realized that. I did not earn a master's degree in period British literature so that I could stand in a high school bathroom and watch boys piss. Um, (laughs) I I, I resented that just a little. Um, Yeah. The college level, students are responsible for their learning. Um, I don't deal with parents. Yeah. Um, I don't deal with discipline problems. Uh, I don't deal with any of those things that all I do is deal with my subject. I teach mm-hmm. and I help people and that's all I'm required to do. And it is glorious. It, this is what I was meant to do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can, I can take time to study my, my, my area. Um, I can spend, if I need to spend an hour in here in my office, researching, uh, reading up, processing, writing an article, planning a, a, a talk for someone, I can do that. And, and when you teach high school, I mean, you're just, you're on constantly all day long. Yeah. You don't have any time to do anything. Um, and that's the thing about teaching. And, and, and I'm guessing, you know, this via your wife, kindergarten through K. I read a study once where teachers make something, so many hundreds of decisions all at the same time when they're teaching, because mm-hmm. you're focused on so so many things and in the college classroom i'm focused on one thing yeah yeah so very very different that's awesome i want to go back to the bathroom duty just real quick because i do have a question for you that when you said that it made me think of something else do you remember this the bathrooms at south dearborn in the boys room in the men's room i guess the saws didn't have doors no what the hell well, do you know how hard it was to take a shit? <laughs> no, because I didn't use the student <laughs> bathrooms. Because, Neither did I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the theory on that was if you put doors on those stalls that the guys would do God only knows what in there. Even yeah. though I think 
God only knows what happened in there anyhow sometimes. Um, But high school guys can do really bizarro things in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, And the idea was, remember, there was no door. Um, you know, there were no dividers between the urinals. And I mean, the, uh, the idea w- it was totally open concept, right? Like yeah. the rest of the school. So that those of us who were monitoring could see it all. Yeah. So to speak. Well, my trick, if I ever had to go number two, I had to feign an illness to Mrs. Young, who was the sick room attendant. She probably was like so tired of seeing me. Most of the time I would like, I literally would just go there and be like, I don't feel good so that I could lay down and then use the private like bathroom in there. That was how I went number two at work, at school. See, this is why you're successful. <laughs> because you figured out what was really important. Yeah. Well, I yes. I mean, I also like, I go number two of probably more than your average person. So I was like, you know, it was like a, a part of my daily, it was a survival technique for me. Oh, geez. I'm sure you we, wanted to know that. Well, Sure. And, and, and when you were in your book, of course, and you were out selling, then yes. you, you could go then, right? You could yeah, probably yeah. go home. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, usually we went the opposite direction from Morris Hill. Okay. <laughs> but oh, yeah, well, we, yeah, I would do that. I would go the opposite direction of Morris Hill also. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we could go there. But then, you know, like you would usually you'd be buddied up with somebody else, like a Jody or like a Sarah Bath or whoever. And they would probably like try to pull a prank on you and leave you if you were going to the bathroom. Uh, at the restaurant or business or whatever. Cause you know, th- that's just what you do when you're in high school. You all were pretty vicious. That's true. Yeah. I can see that happening. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's switch gears to your writing a little bit. You've done a, t- a lot of writing in a different types of writing, like short fiction, poetry, plays, articles, right? Um, what do you like the, what do you like writing? Do you have a thing that you like writing the most? I am a short story writer. Mm-hmm. I have always been a short story writer. That is my um, comfort zone. Um, and if uh, I were allowed to, I would sit and write short fiction all the time when I'm not eating or sleeping. Um, I I absolutely thrill from figuring out how to put the words together and make them say something hopefully powerful or meaningful. Um, I, I do write poetry. I don't see myself as a poet. But I have had poetry published. I, I did win a, 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 a poetry award in Cincinnati that kind of boosted me um, a little bit. And I have, you know, I've published some here and there. But um, I have written a play that I am desperate for someone in a local theater to please pay me $125 for this play. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's good, but no one is even interested. And, and I get right now it's the, the, the situation of the world is not great for um, experimenting with unknown dramatists. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, have, I have written a children's book that almost got published, okay. and then that fell through, um, I'm, I'm, but I'm not giving up. And um, I have written a novella that went nowhere. So <laughs> I, I, I've tried them all. Um, I like them all. I always like, I like what I'm working on at the moment mm-hmm. and I like it a lot. And then when it's over and I move to the next thing, then I don't like it anymore. So um, I don't know what that's all about. I think like, sh- cause I, I still do some writing also on the side. I think short stories for me, like I feel like, um, I have a, I don't have a great attention span a lot of times. And so I feel like if I, if I were trying to write like a book, for example, 
that was very long, I'm afraid that I would have too many inconsistencies in it or like things that don't make sense because I wouldn't necessarily remember the things that I had written even early in the book, right? I don't know. And I know you have editors and like a whole thing if it's like going to actually get published. But <laughs> but to me, like that's short stories. And um, and honestly, like TV, I would love to write TV. I think that would be a blast. I wrote a script for Frasier years ago and sent it to James Burrow and got a response oh, that nice. he had received it and would review it. I th- is it, no, is it, was it Burroughs? Anyhow, whoever I sent it to tragically died in a plane crash. So I don't know whether, I mean, they could have just been humoring me, but nothing ever yeah. came of that. And honestly, I have lost that script. So I don't, <sighs> I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah. It was funny. You're just going to have to trust me. It was really funny. I trust you. I trust yeah. you. Um, my last question for you in the first round is, uh, I've been, this podcast is about, we're 15 episodes in now. Congrats. Um, if, thank you. If you had to issue me a grade based on both listening and being a guest, what grade would you give me? Oh, I think and, we're... And I want constructive criticism. You know that I always liked that. Oh, wow. I think we're looking at a B plus. Okay, I'll take that. Mostly because A's are really hard to get, and you need room for improvement. Everyone does, right? Yeah. Um, I've enjoyed them all. I mean, I I send you my critiques all the time, and I always I always tell my wife when I send them, I say, you know, this could be the last time I hear from him. (laughs) If I if I've gone over the line, I'll I'll know he never gets back with me. But um, a lot of times, I just get frustrated with some of the guests' ramblings and things like that. But honestly, I think you do a really good job of of roping them back where they need to go. Um, Yeah. I'm not in love with the theme song. Oh, okay. But I don't not like it either. Yeah. And I love Uh, love your tagline where you you talk about what you call yourself a mediocre stand-up. Yeah, uh, which I really want to see that stand up someday. And then you talk about being yeah. a ranch, a ranch aficionado. And I just I laugh every time I hear you say that. <laughs> Those are, you know, uh, we work hard for what we get to claim. Um, yeah, stand up is a it's a bummer for me. Um, you know, obviously with covid, I was get, I was looking forward to like doing a show in October back home and uh, ended up canceling it this week because uh, Dearborn County is. The cases are skyrocketing. Oh, it's 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 terrifying. I have to tell you, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. So I was bummed, but I was like, I can't, you know. And again, we're talking about a comedy show in a small town. Like, it's there's nothing that was going on that was worth anybody, any one person getting ill for. So, Agree. Agreed. Um, yeah, it it just seemed like the right thing to do. But man, I miss it. I do. I miss it. Um, well, those are all the questions I have for the first round. Are you ready to move on to the second? Yes. Let's go. Sweet. So as a reminder, this is a five for five round. Uh, so what will happen is um, you, you'll get to ask me five questions. I'll get to ask you five questions. We'll ping pong back and forth and you'll go first. But first, we're going to take a real quick commercial break. Summer is finally in full swing. We've waited so long to be able to leave our quarantine bubbles and get out of the house. I just recently got my bike tuned, so I'm excited to take it out for a spin. But you know what I'm not excited about? Getting hangry while I'm out on the trail. 
As you head outside, don't forget to take Paps Jerky with you. Paps makes beef jerky and beef sticks to fuel your outdoor lifestyle. They come in unique original flavors like Pitmasters, Hot, and my personal favorite, Grippo's Barbecue. You know what they say, you can take the boy out of Cincinnati, but you can't take the Cincinnati out of the boy. And right now, Fast Friends listeners can receive 15% off their first order by entering promo code FASTFRIENDS15 at PapsJerky.com. So save up, fuel up, and get outside. Now we're back. Okay, we're back. I didn't, I didn't know how that worked. I knew we didn't really have to listen to the commercial break. No, okay. no, no. I wanted to play the theme song, though, for you since you loved it so much. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I can't change it. We licensed that, so now I have to use it at least until I get my money's worth. Oh, now, see, I feel bad now that I even said anything. It's no, okay. Don't. It's fine. Don't, don't, don't. It's fine. No, it's fine. You know, it's good. It's it's good feedback. I'll take all feedback. Um, awesome. Well, you were the guest, so you get to go first in the five for five round. So uh, let me confess that I, I have thought about this extensively, and, and I have literally typed mine out. Wow. Finessed them and fine-tuned them. So these, these will probably be the, the best five you've ever had. Okay. Not to brag. No, future guests, take note. Take note. Number one, if, if you could have a pass with your Hollywood crush, who would that be? Oh, Okay. Um, so I have this, like, it's Leah Michelle from Glee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, I have a type like for, for that, because it's like a, it's a whole different, like not real life thing, you know, but like, it's like her, like Selena Gomez, like, and I know they don't look exactly like, but they're kind you know, they, they're kind of, uh, Leah Michelle though, is ever since I saw her in Glee, even I loved her then. I think she's an amazingly talented singer. I would venture to say that she is probably not a nice human being, um, based on things that I've read or heard. Um, but that also makes her like seem hotter to me. Okay. Agreed. I, I have also read that she is not a nice person. Uh, no, but they're not really they're not really that alike. Uh, Liz can sing very well, not as well as Leah Michelle, but she's a, she Liz is a really good singer. Okay, cool. Um, my first question for you is: What's the worst job that you've ever had? We were not really supposed to work in high school. My parents wanted us to focus on our studies, but during the summer, and I want to say in my senior year, I worked for an automotive diesel school called Lincoln Technical Institute Okay. in the call room. And my job was to cold call people and to try to convince them to come to the school. And it was, it was not pretty. I got <laughs> yelled at and called names and I talked to people from some really interesting backgrounds and I don't think we were paid per appointment we set up, but there was some kind of incentive, and that's how you kept your job. So it's like this boiler room thing, um, and it was it was pretty awful. Oh, yeah, cold calling is hard. Yeah. Um, that's I don't have the personality for that. I did not either. Yeah, how <laughs> did you do it? Did you do it like all summer? I think I did it that uh, that whole summer, and I want to. I want to say I did it late in my senior year and then all the way through the summer until I went off to college. Okay. I think. Okay. Right on. It's oh, and second. it was in a terrible neighborhood. And one night we saw a 
car, as we were leaving to go to our cars, a car came and stopped in the middle of the road and dumped a body onto the road, and then the door closed and it sped away. And we, and we had to call the police to come and pick up the dead body in the road. Okay, I'm sorry. It was... <laughs> True story. Was, there's a lot to... The, was it just a corpse? It wasn't like in a bag or anything? No, it was just a dead body. It was freshly dead. Freshly dead. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's the first dead body I had ever seen. Yeah. I mean, that you know, wasn't like in a casket. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. Yeah, nothing. Uh, I hope you got paid handsomely for that job. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for your second question. Okay. So if you were stranded on an island, desert island, with one book, one movie or TV show, and one album of music, what would they be? So I get one of each of those. One of each. Okay. Um, I have to think about the book probably longer than the other two. Okay. The others were a movie or TV show. Uh-huh. Do you get the entirety of a show if it's a show? Sure, why not? Okay. <laughs> I'm very into specifics. I'm going to start with album. I think I would probably pick... Um, I think I would probably pick... Um, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill album. Okay. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of great music on there and I feel like it goes through a range of different types of emotions. And so I feel like it would be, there would be something for almost every scenario. Okay. Um, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, from a TV show or movie perspective, uh, um, I'm probably going to pick Cruel Intentions, the movie. Oh, okay. I have yeah. not seen that. Oh, it's um, it's pretty good. It's no. it's no, very like a teen. <laughs> okay, is that Ryan uh, Phillippe? Yeah, and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair. Okay. Um, it's it's pre- it's a little it's dark and twisted, but it's like it's good. Okay, it's really good. Um, so I'd probably take that. So then I need some, like, from a book perspective, I need something a little happier um, that's going to make me laugh. I would probably, from a book perspective, take, this is really hard, because I read a lot of, like, comedy books, or books written by comedians. Um, So I'm trying to just pick which one I would take if I could only have one. Um... Okay, I'm actually switching now. Uh, this person is not a comedian, but it's a sh- it's a collection of short stories that are very funny. Um, God, I sound like such a douchebag when I say this. It's called "I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell" by Tucker Max. <laughs> they are the okay. funniest stories. Um, they're and Tucker Max like started publishing these on the internet actually first, uh, and then like got a book deal from it. So I remember reading them even on like the internet on tuckermax.com. Um, but anyway, it's there. It's a, it's an amazing, amazingly raunchy, terrible stories of him being a terrible human being, um, that are funny in the aspect of him being a story and tragic in the fact of him being a human being that treated people like he treated them. Okay. I wrote that down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a copy that's signed. If you, if you want to borrow it. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty funny. And he's like done his whole journey of who he is now and he like actually helps people publish books. Um he started a company called Scribe Media, maybe? I'm not sure. 
I'll have to look it up. He's very interesting. He's a very interesting person. And I actually worked with him on Mansformation briefly before I had to pull back funding. Do you know about Mansformation? I have heard the word. I've, was, maybe I've heard you mention it. It was a project of mine, like from years ago. And uh, it, yeah, he was one of my celebrity coaches, but we had to pull back funding because I, I was self-funding. And TV production is expensive, as you can yes. imagine. So, yes. uh, yeah, check out I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. It would, it, it'll balance out the darkness of cruel intentions. Okay. <laughs> my second question for you kind of ties into your first question for me. If you could marry a fictional character, who would it be? A fictional character? Yeah, oh so it can be TV, my. books, plays, anything. A fictional character. Oh, Logan, you've stumped me. I didn't expect you to throw in the word fictional. <laughs> I'm trying to run through the Shakespeare characters, and if I would want to be married to any of them. How about one of the Bond girls? Oh. Uh, so Ava Green would be a... She was in one of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Oh, she was in Casino Royale. Casino Royale. And she played Vesper Lynn. Vesper Lynn. So I think I'm going to go with Vesper Lynn. She has a kind of a, I know again, because I take everything into wrestling world. She has kind of this look of like WWE's Paige, P-A-I-G-E. You should look her up. She's a great wrestler. Well, she's retired right now due to an injury, but um, she was a great wrestler. She had a smoldering, mysterious kind of thing going on that I found really interesting so let's go with that and i'm going to get back with you later uh, with a better answer awesome your question three for me what's the biggest risk you've ever taken the biggest risk i after college applied for a job at wwe did not get said job in in on the writing team i did get a job offer for a production assistant and took that moved there and hated it it was terrible. I mean, you talk about your four months. Uh, I, I, it was a couple weeks and I was oh, like, wow. nope, out. I, and at the time, like I knew that I loved uh, working in wrestling and the creative aspect. And like, it was just an environment that I couldn't get behind based on like all of the stuff I had done in wrestling for the previous, like three to four years. Um, and that sort of, it was a good, I mean, it was a risk because obviously it was like moving across country. I had zero money. It paid nothing. I had to live in like, um, one of the, like, I feel like I found people on like room roommates.com and like lived in this house with like three other people that I didn't know. Oh, wow. Oh, there were a lot of things stacked against it. Um, but what it did for me was made me realize that like, I had been going after this job and chasing this job that like wasn't going to come to fruition and I needed to find an alternate path. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it ended up working out, uh, long-term, but man, it was painful at the, at the moment. It was, it was really bad. It was like, it was like having your dream like pulled out from underneath you, you know? Right. But those, that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us better people. So yeah. Wow. I, my dad, my dad likes to tell when he tells the story, he likes to say that I almost beat him back from moving me up there <laughs> because he took a detour and like went to Niagara Falls or something on the way. back. I don't know. But he's like, you almost like you basically almost beat me back to Indiana from Connecticut. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the that was the biggest risk. And, and it did pay off, just not the way that I thought it would. OK, nothing yeah. ventured, nothing gained. Yeah. 
Uh, my third question for you is, if humans came with a warning label, what would yours say? Caution. Has lots of issues. <laughs> That's I, awesome. I I have so many pet peeves. It's just not even funny. Um, <laughs> I, I often ask on the first day of class, I ask my students to tell me their pet peeves. It makes for good conversation for, you know, breaking the ice and getting to know them. And then they ask me mine and I say, you don't have enough time all semester for my pet peeves. So, <laughs> Wow. Okay. There are a lot of them. I might change one of my other questions now to f- based on that answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. It's time for your fourth question. Number four. This, this one's going to be really easy, my friend. Okay. Boxers, briefs, or neither? Uh, boxer briefs. Okay. Right in between. And what's the advantage of those? I don't know. Um, so growing up, like, well, I don't think, I don't really feel like, I think briefs were like the only thing people wore for a long time or that's just what we wore because that's what my parents bought us. Uh, and then in college, I remember I didn't love, so I still wore, <laughs> I, I still wore uh, briefs, but like, I also didn't love the idea that like if something happened and my pants ripped or something, like my ass cheek would be hanging out essentially. So I actually would wear b- <laughs> briefs with a pair of boxers over them. What? Who does that? Okay. And then I was like, oh, they make something that's like a combination of these two. Okay. So I don't know if there's a clear advantage, but to me what it does is it like gives you a little more like like fit, like uh, keeping things in place, um, yep. but you're covered if you were to have a wardrobe malfunction. Okay. I think that is a very <laughs> sound philosophy for undergarments. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question that I've never gotten. So, uh, like in it's public, impo- it, it's important. I think it is. It's and it's a great icebreaker question. I see it used a lot. I've just no one's ever asked me. Um, okay. So my fourth question was going to be something different, but now I'm going to ask you because you talked about pet peeves. What is what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh my gosh, Logan! There are so many. I have. <laughs> I have very little tolerance for very bad grammar mm. from people who should know better. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I know a lot of people who should know better who have very poor grammar. And I, I judge them. I, and if you have no education, if, the, if you don't know any better, okay, that's, I get that, okay? Um, but I, I know a lot of people who just don't bother... I think that I think the details of language matter. I think the little things, the nuances, the subtleties of language speak volumes. And that's one reason why texting is as problematic as it is is and and I just I just had this happen with a, a good friend of mine who sent me a text and I was very offended. I thought it was a very curt and inappropriate text. And I avoided this person for about a month. And finally, when I had to talk to him again, I learned that in, he in no way meant that. He just didn't word it the way that he meant it. But, yeah. but that, I think, serves as an example of just people who don't know when to use I and when to use me. And they put other people's names ahead and, and they end their sentence in 
apt and just, I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And if you know better, for the love of God, try to be a little more accurate. <laughs> okay. Sorry. That's no. a little bit of a lecture I give my classes. I love it. I love it. All right. It's time for your fifth and final question. Okay. What's, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you in public? Uh, in public. Oh, yeah. This is, um, this actually, again, it's, uh, <laughs> in no way is it anything to brag about, but it, um, led me to a good development in life. Um, I had a really bad drinking problem when I worked, uh, about, I would say about five years ago, five, six years ago. And, um, I went to a company happy hour, um, which turned into happy hours, um, oh. And uh, I actually was there with a team of people that I managed at the time, and I ended up pissing my pants at the bar because I didn't realize that I had to go to the bathroom because I was so drunk, um, and I didn't realize in time. That's embarrassing. Oh, wow. So was this some kind of a moment of reckoning? Well, that was, <laughs> that was only one thing that happened that night. Uh, <laughs> It, it actually was a very, very terrible, terrible uh, night all in. Um, but that was like one of the embarrassing parts of it. Like I said, it led, I actually, I sh that was one of those nights where I look back and I'm like, I don't, I probably wouldn't, I shouldn't even be here right now. Oh, um, it was like negative 20 that night. I like left uh, my coat at the bar, got dropped off by an Uber, lost my phone, couldn't get in my building. Liz woke up. I was missing. Like, it was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible series of events. Um, but it led to me the next morning saying, like, I'm not drinking anymore. And mm -hmm. so it's been, it'll be five years in December. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Good for so you. It's, it, it, it led me in a good place. But, man, yes. it, was rough, it was rough realizing that wh why I had to get there. I think oftentimes that's what we have to hit rock bottom first. Yeah. So yeah. How, how brave of you, though, to do that. Was, okay. It was insane. But yeah, pi uh, pissing your pants in front of people that you have to go and then like manage at work the next day is pretty, that's pretty embarrassing. Um, I would think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My last question for you is what's one bad habit that you're trying to get rid of? Oh, this is lame, but it, it's, it's happening right now. So we live in an age of political correctness. We are trying to use more appropriate language with people. And I um, supervise some uh, work study students and they all happen to be female students. And I want to call them the girls. Mm. And it's really not appropriate to do that. And I keep trying to catch myself uh, because, you know, I have two daughters and they have always been the girls. And so in, and, and you know, and I'm an older guy, so they are girls to me, but these, these are adult yeah. <laughs> young women who deserve to be respected. And I don't mean it disrespectfully, but, um, I'm finding a, a, an issue with that in a couple of things. So, so for example, you know, there was a period in time where if things were really, really bad, you, someone in my position in my white privilege world might say that's so ghetto. And that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. And but those habits can be hard to break when you've yeah you've let them you know fester for a long time. So on the, now on the big the big things I'm good, but I have a lot of little 
old time sort of go-to languages that I need to f work on. And, I, and I'm working on it, but it's, you know, when you're in the middle of life, you don't think about those things. So, yeah, no, it's hard. Like, yeah, I like, even the pronoun thing is like something for me where I, um, it's, I'm tr I try to do the same thing. Like I'll say in a meeting, like, okay guys, you know, like to a whole group of people. And it's like, okay, folks, like yep. there, <laughs> all right, team. Like there's so many other ways to do that, that, and mm -hmm. it's like something very small that I can change that can make a huge difference to somebody else. Yes. Right. So like I'm in the same place, but it's, yeah. um, but it's hard because like you grow up saying like, Hey guys, you know, like whatever. It's just, I don't know. Um, yeah. and that's one of mine is guys. I've, I've yeah. had to convert over and, and, a, and I'm also moving, you know, um, well, maybe you don't know the new edition of APA style has now allowed for the pronoun they and there to be singular. Oh, Every, yes. Everyone yes. opened their book is now considered correct. Well, for 400 years, that was incorrect. Right. And that's a little hard to undo, but I'm, I am, I'm working on it. I'm fighting yeah. the fight. Good for you for <laughs> acknowledging and, and trying. Awesome. Well, that's the end of the five for five round. So we're at the final round now with this uh, amazing paper fortune teller. I can't um, wait to see it. It's so fun. Um, and so uh, what we'll do is I'll ask you a series of questions based on your answers. It will reveal an activity that we'll play. And so we'll either play Ask Me Anything, Truth or Dare, Never Have I Ever, or Two Truths and a Lie. Okay. So we're going to start with the uh, – I have hopes for your answer on this question, by the way. Okay. Um, if you had to pick – if we're on a road trip and you're picking a boy band to kick off a playlist, would you pick NSYNC, One Direction, Backstreet Boys, or 98 Degrees? Backstreet Boys. Oh, jeez. Sorry, Logan. My daughter's earliest plan in life was to marry Brian Luttrell, I think his name is. Okay. And so all that we listened to th during her middle school years was the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Like 24-7. So, Sorry. Right. Huge Nick Lachey, Nick Lachey fan, though. Got to tell you. Yeah. Who isn't? Okay. Who yeah. isn't? Um, okay. If we're stopping for a snack, do you pick Milk Duds, Corn Nuts, Cheez-Its, or Sour Patch Kids? I'm a Cheez-Its guy. Oh, me too. They're so good. They are so good. Uh, and the last question is, if we finally stop and we're going through a drive-thru, do we go to Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, or Arby's? Oh. I'm not... A big fast food person. Me either. In fact, oh ha, yes. <laughs> um, in in fact, not not to divert. I have a fear of drive-throughs. Oh, what's? I, it seems inhuman to me. Okay. The human contact is gone. The speak into the clown's mouth, the static, the I I'm not. I don't even know who I'm talking to. I don't know. I have, and then the food is coming. I don't even know what it is. So, but but if if we were doing that, I think I would say Wendy's. I was gonna guess Wendy's. They have yeah. the most like non-traditional fast food off. So okay. this would be two truths and a lie. Okay. So, okay. Um, in this in this activity, then what you need you'll say three things, and I have to try to guess which one of the three things that you tell me are a lie. Okay. So three, three things, and one of them is a lie. Yes. I have for years been in a fantasy football league. Hmm. I had to go to traffic school for excessive speeding tickets. Okay. <laughs> I 
have met Nick Lachey. Oh. One of those is a lie. One of those is a lie. I believe the traffic school 100%. Um, I don't know why, but it's it just seems like, yep, that, that checks out. Um, I don't want to, like, dismiss that you... I think that I think that you're lying about Nick Lachey. Why? I think that's he, a lie. He's from Cincinnati. I live I know. near Cincinnati. He owned a restaurant. Okay. Is it that a lie? Is true. That is true. That is a lie. I have not met Nick Lachey. <gasps> well, also, if you go, if you were to go to Lachey's when they had when it was open, mm-hmm. most of the time you could only meet Drew. Like Nick wasn't there usually. Yeah, I'm not interested in Drew. <sighs> Drew gets a bad rap. I know. I know. I got a picture with him when we were there, but um. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It, it would be unfortunate to have to, um, because he is like, if you were to take him away from Nick, he would be like on his own. He would probably shine a little brighter. I don't doubt that. I, I just, yeah. Nick has a, a, just a cool bro vibe. Yeah. Um, and I know I can't say bro. That sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> still, um, <laughs> I, he has a cool factor, and I even in the years when he was married to the the Jessica Simpson, yeah, didn't they have like a ridiculous reality show on? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm never gonna watch a reality show ever. But he still was. He had that cool factor that I think yeah. carried over. So I don't know. Well, I have met Nick Lachey um, oh. before. Was I've... it everything you hoped it would be? No, it was not. It was a. Uh, it was at a. So this is really ridiculous. It was in Chicago. Um, I was working in an ad agency at the time, and it was on Michigan Avenue. And um, a couple blocks away, they were doing a – he was doing an appearance as part of some brand thing. So it was, like, through Nescafe or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a very quick, like, you know, get a picture, like, move through the line kind of, like, thing. And this was – I mean – this was a while ago too. So, um, but, uh, I did get to meet him and had a brief interaction at the time I was working on the Mansformation show. So I actually gave him a card and said, I would love to work with you on this project. Never heard from him. Uh, but you know, hope springs eternal. I, my goal, I'll publicly state this. We're on episode 15. If I can get to 98 episodes, I would love to have Nick Lachey as guest number 98. I will do anything in my power to make that happen. Yeah, thank you. I've I've got to figure out how to make it work. Um, I'm sure he's not listening, but if by chance he is, you know, slide into these DMs. They're open. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, I don't know if you... So Drew is actually very likable and approachable, and he has an amazingly um, endearing Instagram feed um, where he does these, like, do-it-yourself kind of videos where he's, like, working on stuff around his house, and he calls it Drew-it-yourself. Okay. Yeah, it's very very enjoyable. Okay, um, and I love I love Drew. Well, I, I, I yeah, I hate to diss the guy. I'm sure I'm sure he's great. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, but he, but, but people know Nick Lachey. I know. It's so bad. Uh well, thanks for playing. Um, I'm glad that I got that right. I so I did think it was a little like dismissive just to be like that you wouldn't be in a fantasy football league. So, I have no interest in football whatsoever. <laughs> I know nothing about football. I think I could Aaron Rodgers is a football player and that's all I know. Okay. Because my son-in-law is a huge um Green Bay fan. But our family has one 
okay. that I play in to just so I can be a good sport. And honestly, everything that I do in in my fantasy football league, I do because my 11 year old grandson tells me what to do, <laughs> and and that's that's how that goes. So it's fun for that reason, but I just could not care less about football. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's all right. It's all right. I mean, you know, um, it, it, everybody has their thing. I watch professional wrestling for God's sake. Still, remember? Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, this is the point in the podcast where it's the friend request, so all stakes are on the line. Uh, I'm going to call you Ron now because I feel like we're there. So, but Yay. like Ron Nicholson, Logan Cummins has sent you a friend request, metaphorical, of course. Would you confirm or delete it at this point? Immediately confirm. Immediately confirm. I love it. Okay. And I got a B plus. I'm feeling really good today. This is a good way to like end, uh, end the day and, and head into a Labor Day weekend. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, it was really, really great to catch up with you. Um, thanks for being my friend. Uh, <laughs> and thanks for volunteering for the Nick Lachey. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mission. It's, yes. gonna, it's a mission now at this point. Yes. Um, but if you're listening at home, there are a couple of things that you could do to help us out. If you could text us at 872-267-2735 and give us ideas for what uh, myself and see, now I'm going to like be so nervous that I'm like using wrong grammar. If you would give us, give us a text and tell us what we should do when we hang out. Um, otherwise, the other thing is if you're listening and you like the podcast, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and we may read it on the air. Mr. Nicholson, Ron, thank you so much for coming on. Have a wonderful weekend. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fast Friends Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for an all-new episode. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan Cummins. And if you have a suggestion on someone that I should be friends with, go ahead and let me know at fastfriendspodcast.com.